that's a recognizable opening salvo by the alarm called Strength. You probably all recognize it. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine. This is the Goldmine Podcast, proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. The Alarm has a new album out. It's called War, or as it's pointed out, Raw, spelled backwards. Led by vocalist Mike Peters, The Alarm is maybe more raw or in your face than they were in the 80s. Maybe maybe as maybe they're back to when they first started they're, they've got that raw punk leaning as they did in the late 70s but sounding a little bit more contemporary i guess either way it's good stuff and peters is really venting about this last year like well everyone is feeling it um really this he's venting about the six about the last six years maybe um but in the end, in his lyrics and his writing, his songwriting, there's always a sense of hope in the lyrics, just like there was in the 80s with hits like Strength that you heard in the opening and Rain in the Summertime, Always Rescue Me, always great songs in the 80s that the alarm had. But we're going to talk about that, uh, those 80s hits, and we're going to talk about War. Um, the new album by The Alarm with Mike Peters right after this message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. So congratulations on the new album, man. I like it a lot. Oh, thanks, Pat. Thank you. And and uh, I think this is one of the best in a long time, man. Wow. Um, tell me about, well, first of all, war spelled backwards, obviously, is raw. And I know in 1991, that was uh, the name of your album. Is there is that a reference or is there any connection at all to that? Yeah, just just a, just a slight one. It was I mean, I was looking at in all through the last decade, I've remade each of the original 1980s alarm albums as if they were modern songs and treated them as such uh, just to give them a fresh coat of paint and liberate them from the time stamp of the 80s if you like um right. and I, I wasn't quite sure how to do that with the raw album because i felt when we made that record we'd missed an opportunity to sort of redefine the band mm. uh with with in the face of the future that was around us the, la- the musical landscape that we arrived in you know, in 1991, Nirvana was coming out of the blocks, Pearl Jam, everything was changing. And we'd actually, just the year before that, we at the end of the night, then our last gig of the 80s was playing on stage with Neil Young and doing playing Rockin' in the Free World. Mm-hmm. And um, we'd, we'd met Neil. Um, well, how it, that actually happened was that we, we were playing a gig and Elliot Roberts, who was Neil Young's manager, at the time uh, and had always been his manager came to see us playing to represent us and he said while he was at the gig he said hey i've got a tape of neil's new album which is called freedom do you want to hear it we go yeah he goes look he's back on form this is going to be a major album for neil so we were excited to hear it we played it rocking in the free world was on it twice acoustic and electric by the time we'd finished the tape we'd learnt the song and transcribed the lyrics 
And we gave the cassette back to Elliot and said, oh, that's what an album. Neil is certainly way right back on it with the, with that album, you know. So Elliot stuck around for the gig and we walked out for the encore and we played Rocking in the Free World, note for note. And after Elliot came in the dressing room after the show and he said, man, Neil Young is going to kill me when he finds out what's happened here. <laughs> and so... The opposite happened. Neil, Neil was really intrigued and he came to see us playing at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And then when we got to the East Coast, to New York, he came on stage with us at the Ritz in New York, the, the new Ritz as was it, which was in the, the Studio 54 um, entertainment space. And it was, we played Rockin' in the Free World. And we were the first band to play Rockin' in the Free World in the world before even Neil had played it himself, you know, properly. So it was, um, and I think at the time, Neil was was we was we went to his ranch and we we sort of talked about maybe making what would be the next alarm album with him, and I think he was looking for a band to sort of hitch a ride with for a while. And eventually, you think I think he probably thought the alarm aren't quite ready for it yet, and he switched to and he did Mirrorball with with Pearl Jam instead, really. Mm. And and uh, and so when when we came to make what became the last album of the Alarms original lineup era. The intention was to go to make an album that was a little bit like 10 versions of Rockin' in the Free World, song, songs that addressed what was going on. You know, we were, new music landscape was upon us. The Gulf War was happening. You know, we'd, and I, and, and I just felt we, we missed that opportunity to really say something that could have took us into a new era. Um, we ended up making a compromised record where I was, allowed to only sing certain amount of songs. I was only right, the songwriting was equally spread out amongst the band rather than let's just have the best songs and sing them and right. do them. And so we ended up with this, it was okay. It was a good record, but it wasn't what it could have been, if you know what I mean. And so I always felt we missed an opportunity there. And then, and we broke up at the end of that tour. So I think we did miss something there. And so when I was thinking that, I always thought, oh yeah, I could, remake that album but but totally write a whole new album and 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 then I, and then I thought oh maybe that opportunity's gone now and then when I was watching TV in the background and I was on a phone call with um a lawyer friend of mine from Washington who's on our board of charity love hope strength he's a board member and we were talking about some things with the charity when all of a sudden the headlines changed it was alarming news and you saw the capitol building being stormed and and elliot was our friend my friend was represented a lot of heavyweight politicians on both sides of the house right across the senate and he was starting to fear for some of his friends in the building and it became very real and I, and i saw the word alarming on on the head it was alarming this and alarming that was certainly on the news i was watching in the uk and and so i thought this is I've got. We've, this is it. We've got to make the record now. We can't wait till the pandemic's over. We've got to do it now. This is the trigger point. And so I literally went on our website, and before I could tell it, I didn't want to tell anyone what I was going to do because I thought everyone will say you're crazy and talk me out of it. So I went on the alarm website. But hello, everybody. We're going to make a record. This is what we're going to do. And when I woke up in the morning, my wife just got, "What did you put on the alarm.com <laughs> last night?" You know you mad you know like, so i said hey look well we're going for it this is how we're going to do it and uh, and i was phoning the band and jules started filming me phoning everybody so she kept cap started capturing everything and we said let's make the record out in the open whether we sink or swim here we'll do it in real time in the open air um 
I, I had the beginnings of one song that was called 280 Ways to Start a War. Yes. And it was a, a reference to the amount of characters you could put in a tweet, which a certain oh. person who's no longer president of the USA used to his full advantage and created some horrific battles on, on Twitter and massive divisions amongst people. And so much so that in our household, I, when he came on the TV, I had to switch him off. I thought, I, I don't want that person talking to my children through his the way he uses language and distorts people's views and, and distorts the truth. And I just thought I, I've got to switch that guy off. And we just played music in our house and only listen to the main news once a day. And uh, so, yes. And then that, when I started writing the song, I thought I need a bigger chorus. It can't be 280 ways. To start. And so I came mutated into protect and survive and takes you out of just that, but into the pandemic and how we've all had to cope with all these intrusions into our lives. And eighty ways to start a war. Protect and survive. It's the only way to stay alive. Protect and survive. Well, it's weird because. You know, raw is how I feel after, God, a year of this crap. Um, my nerves just feel raw. And I felt like I was at war. <laughs> hey, <laughs> talk, about the, talk about the song Protect and Survive. I felt like I was in this survival mode, um, <laughs> defensively at war. Uh, for the last year and um, I gotta say I so much appreciate boring politicians now if I yeah, have every too. politician as boring I don't care if they're on left or right or Republican yeah. or Democrat I'm sick of these blowhards um, you know You're I'm, right, sick of, I'm the same I'm the same it's, to me it was like let's cult get of the personality I hate you know I'm tired yeah. of it tired of it i I absolutely 100 with you on that you know it was just like where's the tolerance where's the understanding where's the the the, where are the people trying to bring people together here we're facing an absolute global crisis and it became nothing to do with that whatsoever didn't it you know and and i've got every respect for the presidency and the person who sits there but that the man who was in the the last incumbent of the seat totally abused this the power well all politicians are they let it all go to ten. <laughs> they're not rock stars yeah, they are. <laughs> they're supposed to be working for us <laughs> yeah you're absolutely right <laughs> but i love the song um protect and survive i love that lyric 280 ways to start a war and to also says to kill, kill us all, all. and <laughs> obviously it's a reference to twitter and the politicians and people of power who abuse the platform the scary thing is is that social media is presenting this problem where there's a fine line now between free speech and using it as a propaganda tool and one when one person stands above the rest with power and monopolize you know this tool it becomes very scary um 
Absolutely. So you have these people saying it's free speech, but <laughs> not it's not. When, it's not. That, you know, they, a lot. I always say people, ha, you know, we all call them keyboard warriors, don't they? And, and they hide behind the, the, they wouldn't say a lot of what they say on the internet to your face. Right. Because when you're face to face, there's some sense of decorum comes into the room. But when it's, when you're alone on your keyboard and, and, and you, you know, I, my, my dad always taught me to say, if you haven't got anything good to say, say nothing at all. Right. But, People wade into every argument, don't they? Now, like, leave it alone. It's a set. You know, my parents never discussed uh, their politics or <laughs> their religion. I I liked that. I missed that, man. If he brought it up, they might have discussed it in a very polite manner, but they didn't get into these wrestling matches. Um, no. So I, I missed that. And, and I miss the fact that Americans, you know, they're not, now they become tribal. And I love the song, Tribes Stop the War. And I like the song because I think it speaks volumes to, I mean, what are we really fighting over this culture? Or what are we fighting over that can't be resolved? I know, it's exactly. So, it's insane. We're fighting over insane crap. And, you know, um, it all started with these radio talk show hosts that just stirred things up for money for yeah. a career absolutely they do. yeah it's and, amazing. you know that it's like they've all all the 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 the, the news pool now that the, the amount of news it's like this it's a shark fest isn't it you know yeah. it's, they're looking for stuff all the time they, there's no good news they just they don't want to know about that you know and all, all these talk show hosts that are hosting debates come on and they try to get them as inflamed as they possibly can before yeah. they even got off the ground. And it's, it's just, um, the, you know, I, I always thought in Britain when the pandemic was going on, we should have shut down 24 hour news and, and put on, you know, educational things for the kids who were all locked in the houses. I, I agree. You um, know, I think France does that before elections. They, right. They a part. Yeah. They have a little bit of, uh, buffer zone before the elections to stop yeah, the well, propaganda but but what thing. i um you know i just feel like this could be solved and it, nothing is being done about it and i don't know how it is I, I turn on the bbc and i feel like it's sober news i don't know how it is there um look it's it, it, it's still there's look you can't if you put your head above the parapet, you get shot down, you know, by somebody. There's always somebody yeah. waiting for you to have a go. And yeah. um, it's it's difficult, I think, for anyone, you know, especially with the pandemic. It was, it's hard enough to deal with, with a changing landscape and all the variants. And, the, and people thought at first, we'll get it under control fairly quickly. We'll be out of this by Christmas. And, you know, we're here another year later and we're still not out of it properly. Yeah, and I'm and, not going to even go into Brexit because I don't even understand it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, I know that's another, that's a massive one. You know, for for artists, that's a massive one. You know, to contend with how how we're going to get to go over and play in Italy and France and Germany now, I'll never know. <laughs> I'll play the ignorant American and just pass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, oh, another yeah. thing about tribes is it has that classic alarm harmonica. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that when I kicked in.
occupied Flags are upside down Let's stop by accepting The outcome of the vote Democracy's the only way That we shall overcome Stop the war Would you say that this album is, I don't know if angrier is the right word, maybe more distraught, um, sounding an alarm? Yeah, look, I, I, I just I just felt, I was looking around and, you know, I think I might have said, but no one, I couldn't, I was writing songs, but I thought, well, I don't want to write about the pandemic. Who's going to want to hear about that? But then it, it triggered it all off. And I thought, so let's, we've got to, this is like a Polaroid of the life we've all lived. You know, we've all sat in the same place. We've not been able to leave our homes. You know, I'm sure the backdrop for your Zoom is the same as mine. It's the same for, you know, it's not changed for a year. So yeah. we might as well go, this is our life. <laughs> and we haven't moved anywhere. And so I thought I wanted to, you know, write things that, you know, I mentioned, uh, do the quote from Biden in, in Tribes and then uh, there's stuff in Crush from Boris Johnson and the British government messaging, you know, stay home, stay set, hands, face, space, all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, well, if no one else is going to document it, who is, you know, so that's our job as the alarm to document. And we, we've done it, you know, since we started. And, and, uh, and I think this, this one is, um, it is angry, I think, because I do feel like we could have created a much more harmonious situation and and felt like we were pulling together you know whereas some elements of how the messaging that's come out that that is like you were saying it has pushed people against each other certainly yeah. in america it was it's become very tribal i'm surprised it didn't happen here in britain you know there there is a lot of opposition out there to the pandemic and a lot of people think it's um you know ian brown of the stone roses has pulled out of a massive festival today because he, they were, they said that maybe people would have to have a COVID passport to show they were healthy to come into the festival, and he's dead against the whole thing. So he's like, yeah. no show, no vax, you know, no, I'm, I'm not. He doesn't buy into it at all. And Van Morrison's the opposite as well, isn't he? He's like, this is all a scamdemic and COVID nineteen eighty four, as they like to call it. And uh, it's crazy. You know, I still have neighbors that refuse to believe. They think it's just some flu. Um, it, it's insane. It's, yeah. it's insane. But I mean, the alarm has always been, you know, relevant with these, everything that's, you know, going on in the world. There's always been hope in your, your songs in the end. <laughs> and I was reading Goldmine did a 10 albums that changed my life with you. Yeah. And even before I think you started the alarm, you had the sense of social justice because the albums you grew up on, you mentioned The Clash, and I see The Clash in your, on your wall. Yeah. Woody Guthrie, yeah. Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and of course you love The Who, but all these bands were about social justice. 
you know, and getting involved and speaking out against power. So yeah. it makes total sense that this would become you and the alarm you know, as a career, right? Yeah, well, that, that's the music I grew up listening to. Of course, I love glam rock and I love Bowie and oh, T-Rex yeah. and Slade and Sweet, you know. Yeah. Who, 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 but you see, when my the first record, I, I don't know if it says it in that Goldmine article, but the first record I ever bought was Slade Alive. Well, I went to buy a record called Slade Alive. You mentioned that, yeah. <laughs> and you know about the the names in the in the in the brackets, yeah. And and I always wanted to be the guys that that wrote the songs. And to me, I, I didn't want to be in a band that just jammed it out there. And uh, I wanted to say something, you know, about mm -hmm. my life and connect to people. And I felt very lucky to be in a band when we got to America. There was a lot of myths about America in Britain, where before we got I there, know. You know, I know. You know, we've grown up on the class saying, I'm so bored with the USA and all that stuff, you know. I tell you, I, 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 the first time I invited a friend here from the UK, this was in the 80s, I picked him up at the airport and I noticed in the backseat he was scrunching down. I said, what the, because we were driving through the Bronx Expressway. <laughs> I said, what the hell are you doing? He goes, I'm watching out for snipers. <laughs> he said, in the the British press always talks about New York City. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, isn't it? <laughs> I was like, no, man, don't worry about snipers. Yeah. Unless you're unless you're a target, they're not going to be shooting at you. <laughs> I know, exactly. And look, when we got there, we just thought, let's take people as we find them. Yeah. You know, let's let's just see what America and we I loved it. You know, I met so many people that are still my best friends, you know, that I met in those early days on the tour and beyond. And so I've always loved America and, and I always, you know, what it was a as a musician, it was a dream to go to America, wasn't it? You know, for me it was anyway, you know, reading yeah. Ian Hunter's book, Diary of a Rock and Roll Star, and hearing the tales of them touring America and buying guitars and bringing them home. It's like, wow, it sounds incredible. So I just wanted so were, to come. You were on the radio a lot in America, especially during the 80s. And yeah. going back to your songs, having hope in them, I songs like Rain in the Summertime, it's such an uplifting song, strength. Those songs remind me of, like, say, U2's Beautiful Day. It can lift anybody's depression. It's just those are the kind of songs you want to turn to to make you feel better yeah i think so that's what that's what music has always uplifted me you know I, I, right. if i felt a little bit um agitated or or um, a little bit unsure and then a little bit dark you know you put on some music and it lifts you up i mean i i'm sort of lucky i live in a beautiful part of the world and um you know i, I I think I took the, at the top of the interview about bringing Elliot, Elliot Roberts, who managed Neil Young. He was managing Bob Dylan at the same time. He came to visit me in Wales and I took him round the whole North Wales, took him to the Snowdonia Mountains and to see the, mm. the Cluid River and everything. like. And he goes, Mike, this country needs a manager. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, 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 you know, it was like a, the world's best kept secret. And I, I, I've got, um, when we moved to London, I hated it. You know, when I got there, I thought oh, it's going to be great. Let's move to London and we'll make it. And we we sort of did make it, but I hated the rehearsal room where we played. You know, we'd have 
some days you come in and be motorhead on one side of the wall and then, you know, steel pulse on the other and you couldn't hear yourself think because of heavy metal and reggae colliding in your room. So to come home, I came home and, and all of a sudden <laughs> I'm afforded some silence and some space to think. Yes. And and I've always wanted to be, when I've always wanted our gigs, you know, I, th- I think in a way, one of the things that happened to me, but I went to see the Sex Pistols in 1976 um, they played Anarchy in the UK and I didn't know what Anarchy was because I hadn't been taught that in school. Mm. I didn't know what the word meant. So after the gig, I saw Johnny Rotten at the bar and I went up to him and asked him what Anarchy meant. And he, he just said, oh, fuck off. Spat <laughs> it out like that, right in my face, you know. And I, I was thinking, wow, you know, and I thought, I want to be in a band like that. But if I am in a band like that and I meet someone who asks, I'll never treat him the way he's treated me. He gave you his answer. That was anarchy. <laughs> it was. Absolutely. And I I was, um, I thought it was fantastic. You know, I, I love it that he told me to fuck off. Oh, man. I wouldn't want him to go, oh, yes, it's about this. And, you know, and explain in a posh English accent. You know, it was brilliant the way he responded. And I thought, yeah, he's got, but he, he set me off on a path of self-discovery. And uh, I asked the question, he was almost saying, well, go and find your own answer. Don't ask me. And I thought that was what was brilliant. And that's what I wanted to do for our audience. I wanted to uplift them in the show and they could sing some great songs and sing some words like love, hope and strength and think, wow, what does, how does that apply to my life? Where am I, where's my love, hope and strength going to come from? And and if you ask the question, you've got to go and find it, haven't you? I I, I agree. He's uh He's the kind of guy that can, um, if you're thin-skinned, <laughs> he could put you back a few steps. But sure if you're can, not, yeah. you, he can have you searching. You know, I just found out, I didn't know this, you're a cancer survivor. After finding that out, I just found that out recently. Um, oh, right. And listening to, I went back and listened to Rain in the Summertime and Strength, and I found it even more poignant. Uh, those songs even more poignant. Um I'm sure for you, singing and performing them, it's got to move you. Um, and to be honest, right Pat, now, yeah. The first, the first night, first day I ever heard the word cancer applied to my life, I was on my way to a gig, and it was 1995, and uh, I had a lump in my collarbone, and and I went, I was about to go to America, and. Um, I thought I was probably a bit tired and run down. So I, my doctor said, go to the hospital. And in the hospital where I lived, there was no cancer center. So I think he knew what was coming my way, but I didn't. I just went to the phlebotomy blood department and gave right. blood. And the nurse said, just hang on a couple of minutes because the doctor want to see it after this. So my brother was in the car outside waiting. I was sat there with Jules and he, they took me into this room and the doctor sat opposite me and he gave me a sheet of paper and it said, let's talk about cancer written on it. Right. And my mind sort of went blank. You know, I thought, what? Yeah. I was not expecting it for one second. Um, and he, he literally said to me, look, Mike, I can see you've gone into shock here. So come back tomorrow and we'll talk about the way through. We're going to walk through this situation together. So I left the building. My wife was in tears. We got in the car. I can't remember. All I remember is sort of coming around at home. A brother had dr- driven me home and he was picking up the phone and I said, who are you, who are you phoning? You know, my mum or something. And he said, oh, mum, you know, he said, no, no, I'm cancelling the gig. And I said, no way. Mm. I've got to go and do the gig. I said, I can't sit here for 24 hours till I see the doctor worrying and I'm going to go and play the gig and keep my mind occupied. Otherwise, I'll drive myself nuts. 
So isn't that what the song "Strength" is about? You know, finding well, strength, moving what, forward. And what happened was when I went to the gig, you know, and I ran, I ran into the gig, and there was a couple of fans outside giving me a hard time about, "Well, oh, you're not in your arm anymore," and all this sort of crap, you know. And then, and I went on stage, and halfway through, or oh, 20 minutes into the gig, I can't remember now, but I played the song "Strength," and it re, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I couldn't, yeah. I almost couldn't sing it. And it was just, it just spoke to me in a way as if I, it was, you know, I sometimes think, where do the songs come from? And they, they come out of your subconscious. Sometimes you don't even know you've written them and, you, and yeah. they're, you're singing them. Um, they're, they're, you know, sometimes they're from, you know what's going to happen, almost as if you know what's going to happen to your life, but you can't quite, you're not, your brain and your, the human way we live stops us from seeing our potential you know and here it was and i thought yeah i'm gonna make it through who will be the lifeblood coursing through my veins was right. and uh, and it, it was like when i got back that's what i was facing they were telling me i was gonna have a bone marrow transplant and everything like this and and um i said that I mean, they said you're young we're gonna go for cure we've been to america we've got all the best procedures you've got a 60 percent chance of making it through life and i went that's all great guys but I'm supposed to be on a plane in the morning going to America. <laughs> I can't possibly cancel the tour. It would be so negative and it would bring out all kinds of horrible things. And uh, I had this a big stand-up battle with them. And I said, look, just give me a couple of months to see the tour dates. I'm not going to die in that time. And uh, if you're going to win this, I have to be in a positive state of mind. And I came out of that. And my friend who had managed the alarm, he was always my friend, Ian Wilson, he... I told him what he was one of the only people I told because I didn't I didn't tear, dare tell my mum. I thought she if she knew I was withdrawing from the treatment, she'd murder me. And my mum was scarier than cancer in those situations. And then and Ian uh, told me about uh, a faith healer he knew, and he had me speak to her. And from I spoke to her from the airport. Her name was Bambi, and she told me that green was a healing colour for me. And and then. Ian was Ian was my manager. Ian was a, was a big John Lennon fan, and and he he said uh, and he 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 I said green, you know what does that mean, you know? And he he said well maybe she means get a green sweater or something when you get over there. And on the plane I was thinking about it and I thought ah oh, yeah John Lennon he 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 always wore the army jacket and I, that was green. I thought I'm gonna go to war on cancer. That's what I'm gonna do, and I, I went Connecticut funnily. And uh, it was um, in Harvard, I think it was. I stopped at a, um, a uh, army surplus uh, fatigue store and I bought my camo jacket and, and went to war. And I said, I'm not taking these clothes off till I'm healed. And I'm still here. You know, I've still got cancer, but I'm still here and I still wear the camo. And, uh, you know, it's got a charity called Love, Hope, Strength. And we've built cancer centers in Africa and Nepal. And we're, we're going to um, Africa next year into the North Africa to help um, uh, a cancer, help fund cancer care in, uh, in, in North Africa. And, and we're, uh, we're I'm hiking off as dyke 177 miles of the border of Wales and England this summer to uh, raise more funds for the cancer center we built in Africa for children in need over there. So yeah, it's, Cancer has taken me on an incredible journey, Pat, you know, and, and I've seen some incredible things through it. And uh, I sometimes say my life has been blessed by cancer because, and I don't mean that facetiously, I just mean that it's taken me into some places where I've seen some incredible miracles. I've seen some incredible 
heroes and heroines and people who've gone way way above the call of duty to keep people alive and, and people have had miracles happen to them and you know where there's a will there's a way and so i've been it's it's certainly um impacted on my life in a massive way yeah give me a lot of insight into life itself i think you're, you're a survivor and i'm sure a lot of fans have come up to you and said how oh um, pat look my wife jules got diagnosed with breast cancer four years ago you couldn't write the script you know it was like a double right. whammy and she mentors lots of women who are going through breast cancer she she when she comes in tonight she'll be on the phone for a few hours with 20 or 30 women helping them through their breast cancer journeys and uh it's like a brother sisterhood um we all i think we can almost recognize each other in the street even though we might bury the scars of our cancer battle under our clothing or under our wigs or our hats or however we mm. live a life but we kind of almost like see each other on the street and know we're there for each other as well well the alarm has always written music that has been um rousing uh you said battle um uh, kind of like anthems warlike anthems right <laughs> yeah um i can remember as a kid um driving around in the car and i would hear spirit of 76 and i would think <laughs> i i wondered why are these guys from the UK singing about the American Revolution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I had, I, I said, I got to dig into these lyrics better. Yeah. Um, exactly. And I found yeah. it was more like a Bruce Springsteen um, memory of youth song. Yeah, that's but it. Yeah. These songs always had these anthems perfect for arenas, which I guess was perfect for you in the 80s with i mean you went on the tour with you two during their war tour right yeah, i was yeah. too young for that I, god oh, i wish yeah. i was i i saw that wish i was uh, too young for that tour but hey ho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, i have to deny i was in the alarm in 1983 now because it gives away my age <laughs> and that was some other guy <laughs> i'm only 23 <laughs> yeah, i would have paid a, a lot for that ticket if i can go back in a time machine. Hey, it was a, it was a it was a fantastic tour you know you two were opening up a lot of doors for bands like us to come through rem simple minds you know they yeah. were gracious you know when they when they got their foot in the door of mainstream radio they didn't just close it behind them they and keep it for themselves they kept this kept it open for us all to kind of rush through so we, we get to play you, with the clash. I know how much you love them. Uh, I did. I, I, we had before the alarm, we were called, we had a punk band. We were called the toilets. I know. And, I know. Yeah. And we played with the clash in 1978 and it was, uh, it was in Liverpool, uh, Eric's in Liverpool. It was, I was going to ask you, do, do you still have, um, did the toilets put out a single or 45 or anything? No, we never did really. We, we had a, we had a great singer from Ireland. It was amazing. But we lost him to life, and yeah. he, he was he was like Bono slash Joe Strummer. He, if we wow. if he stayed in the band, you never know where we could have gone. But it, it didn't work out, and um, he got. We went to London. He got sucked into the dark side of life, shall we say? And we never came yeah. back. And then he died, and uh, it was a shame, you know, because he was a real. Ta he was an incredible talent. It really um, on stage, he, he just captured the room in his palm of his hand. It was incredible. But we didn't have what we didn't have in the toilets. We didn't have a Malcolm McLaren or a Bernie Rhodes or a Brian Epstein. We didn't have one of those managers to kind of channel the energy. So it, it quickly burnt out. But and we so we never made a recording. But um, 
Oh. I've got one one tape of us playing live. It's, it's a bit rough. You've got to really listen to hear it. But we did a, a film in 2013 uh, called Vinyl. And it was it starred Phil Daniels, who was in Quadrophenia. He was the lead in the oh, Who's, really? Yeah. And uh, it, it, it was a film that was only released in Britain in cinemas. But it's a great film. And it's based on... Um, that we created a fake band for the alarm in 2004 and we had a big hit with it with uh, as an uh, as a young band called the poppy fields and uh, that became a, became a sort of big story and then vinyl was the result of that and um and the the director i, I we it was produced by um the guy who does the shrek movies names escape my mind now and um and he was uh he he called me into his office in in LA I thought wow I'm gonna meet the guy behind Shrek you know this is incredible John John H Williams I think his name was and uh he sat me down and got I've got this amazing director she's just done Diary of a Teenage this with Lindsay Lohan in it or something at the time and she's amazing and I said oh who is it and he goes oh you'll you won't know her she's big big in Hollywood now and she's her name's Sarah Sugarman and I went She's not from Wales. He goes, yeah, she is. I go, I know her. I grew up with her. She, she even, <laughs> she, she used to go out with a bass player in the toilets, our band. <laughs> and then when, when, when she realised the story she was being invited in to direct was about me and or based on something I'd done, not, not, not a true story, but based on something, she was like, my the soundtrack. I want, I've got to have all the songs you wrote for the toilets. So. The soundtrack album is is all our songs we had from 1977-78. Well, listen, all the best on the new album. And I hope that you tour in the US after it's all settles down. It's gonna be I think that's gonna be a tough ass still for people because I think you know the the gigs might come back, but I don't think the infrastructure is gonna be there for a while, you know a lot of promoters will have used up their budgets to buy bands and take risks on bands. They'll have used it just to keep their venues open. So, you know, I think it'd be local, local gigs at first before it becomes yeah. back. Do you ever think of doing like a virtual thing, Mike? We've done a few. To, we, we created yeah. our own show called The Big Night In. And we started broadcasting yeah. in March and we've done 26 episodes. We've done a Christmas gig. We, we just, if you go to, um, We've got this new platform now called the Alarm Central, and yeah. it's a, it's a subscription and it's free. And we okay. did it. We did a live broadcast from Rockfield Studios. We presented the raw the War album live from Rockfield in the show. So yeah, we've done loads, and we've had over five hundred thousand viewers. You know, we we really stayed busy, stayed contemporary, stayed right on it through the pandemic, and we start a new series on. July the 1st, where we're going to tell the story of the alarm. We're holding all these staycation gigs in my village. All the fans cool. are coming to stay at the studio and be part of the the, the, just the way out. You know, we're, this is the alarm's roadmap out of the pandemic. Well, I hope that people listen to this. Go to that and check it out. Oh, thanks, Yeah. All right, thanks. Thanks. See all you the best, man. See you soon. Thank you, Mike Peters. This is Pat Prince. Editor of Goldmine Magazine. Don't forget to pick up Goldmine at Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and visit Goldmine at goldminemag.com. Thanks all for listening. See you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 